1: What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius and Mike, and thank you for joining us on this blessed occasion as the Lakers beat the barely over 500 Boston Celtics in Boston in a game that I thought Frank Vogel did more to try to win that game than he has in any other. And um the main thing was that we saw a change in lineup and rotation. And that's been so much of our conversation lately uh, on the show that uh, that re- represents kind of like the next stage. And does Vogel go in this direction? He had THT in the rotation uh, and both Marquise Morris and Wes Matthews sat. So, Darius, what does it mean, this change that, that he made? Do you think this is a one game thing to kind of get Keith and Wes who whose legs seem to be struggling a little bit a night off? Or do you think that it's more of a, we're going to see this going forward? Maybe a
2: little bit of both. After the game, I thought Vogel was very politic in his response to questions. Mike, I heard your question to Frank about the rotation. And Frank seemed very much to say, well, look, like this was a game we wanted to win. So I thought even saying that up front in relation to the rotation change was interesting and important in its own way. But he also said that this isn't a permanent change by any means. I think that he's going to want to get Keith minutes. I think he's going to want to get Wes minutes. Those guys are veteran guys too. And I think there's a risk of losing them to a certain extent, regardless of how professional you are and Wes and Keith are professional guys. I think there's opportunities to lose guys if they sit for too long or if they're just sort of expunged from the rotation and the odds of Frank wanting to go back to them in the near future is probably pretty high in my opinion. I think the matchup dictated some of this as well from my perspective. Like Boston is a very wing heavy team and a very perimeter oriented team and going with an extra big like Keith probably wasn't the move anyway. Um, I was maybe a little bit more surprised that Wes didn't play. He's a viable defensive option, for example, against like Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, both of whom had good games. So the fact that Frank didn't go to Wes at all, I think is a bit telling. But I liked the nine-man rotation. I'm a fan of nine-man rotations to begin with. I think it's more seamless. And Mike, one of the things I wanted to ask you about this And just to sort of get your thoughts in relation to Frank's answer was the idea of getting guys in a rhythm and wanting to give them more opportunity to play because he mentioned that Braun and AD are playing in higher leverage games like 35 36 37 minutes and then having to then if you want to play 10 or 11 guys it's hard to get those guys significant stretches and thus it's harder for them to establish a rhythm so what was your take on that part did you find that interesting or sort of just common sense did frank even admitting that was was that something that you expected
3: Yeah. So I wasn't expecting him to shorten the rotation to that degree before the game, but it makes total sense uh, in hindsight, especially when they had lost to Detroit and not so much the loss to Philly, but just the, just the way that they had played overall in those two games. And I think this was Frank saying, okay, guys, let's tighten it up a little bit. I, even though I get it, it's a, the season's a marathon. We're gonna, we, I have to do something to affect this and what I can do is tighten things up a little bit so that it's going to reflect more like it would in a game that we either had to win which won't happen really in the regular season but certainly will eventually in the postseason and the choices that he made i think that's a good point that you make darius boston is a small team and so that that portends a little bit towards you know giving keith a night off although that has happened before right Keefe did not play one game when he wanted to play tht um as a part of the 10-man rotation so that's part of it. And then the rhythm that you spoke of, for sure, Darius, that's been the thing that Frank has been dancing around for the last couple of weeks, where he just, he's he's been finding it hard to get almost anybody outside of LeBron and AD a rhythm. And that includes some of the starters. Schroeder, for example, has not been in a great rhythm lately. The one guy off the bench whose rhythm, I think, has been pretty good has been Kuz. I think that he's, he's found a way to, to sort of fit um, as to how he's going to do it. And Caruso doesn't really seem to need a rhythm. Um, he just comes in and, and impacts the game in a positive way. And um, I can imagine, you know, Pete's expre- uh, reaction after he saw Caruso sprint the full uh, length of the court to save the game. <laughs> okay, He's he's smiling now. Against and, the
1: Celtics? Yeah, against the Celtics. Oh, could you imagine the mood of the pod today if Kemba hit that jumper?
3: Yeah, that would have been tough. It would have been tough. and And I think I was so... I, it was a little bit of a break of form uh, in during the game is that I was texting Pete and Darius and I was annoyed in the first half and in the third quarter because Frank Vogel was sort of telling them by the rotation and by the lineup, like, all right, guys, let's pick it up a little bit. And they didn't really respond for a while. Finally, they do in the second half. And it was the second unit plus LeBron that turned things around. I mean, AD was aggressive early. That was great. But the other point, Pete, as I, as I kick this back to you, that I think is interesting is that on a LeBron James team specifically, and I think Frank Vogel is a part of this, but mostly LeBron, there's no room for complaining if you didn't play for a game or if you're not happy with your minutes. They, he doesn't He doesn't even acknowledge that. He's just, I'm moving on. Who's going to be on the court next to me? We are trying to win the title. There's just, there's none of that. So I, I actually worry much less uh, than I would on a typical team that, you know, Wesley Matthews didn't play for like that. It doesn't really fly as much on LeBron's team, so is, is what i picked up.
1: I think it's really healthy to have a little bit of pressure on the back end of your rotation, right? Where the competition... It- leads to the best guy playing right and if you've got 11 guys who can really play like on a lot of teams and and even on our team there's a point where there's a drop-off right like the next guy is significant is your 11th or 12th guy for a reason but on this team with with 11 guys who can really play that 10th man that ninth man their minutes and frank runs a 10-man rotation so THT's been out of it uh, you know for a little stretch Keith has been out of it a couple times. This is the first time that that Wes has been out of it, aside from an injury. And I think it's good to have that pressure. There's a certain degree of like, I mean, if you're tired, if you're not in shape, if you're not playing particularly well in that spot, that's fine. Take a couple nights off and then earn those minutes back now it's more difficult to do that in a season that's so limited in terms of practice but having that pressure that 11th guy is always there and now if that 11th guy is keith or or west they should be the one putting pressure on tht if tht is part of the rotation going forward which fingers crossed i want to i want to see that and if it gives tht something where if like he's making too many Mental mistakes. If he's not picking up the things that they're working on in the film room and applying those, going from a young player to uh, that that knowledge that a young player accrues, then let's get the vet back in there, right? The guy who's not going to make, might not have the talent, but won't make the types of mistakes. Darius said something I really like on our team that I've really wanted to foster. And we've, you know, I've talked about load management, which which I know Mike cringes at, but just something to juice us up, especially on that back end where there's a certain amount of competition that that fosters a, well, if you're not going to bring it, we've got somebody else behind you who can
2: I think that there's this idea too, Pete, of kumbaya and trying to keep everyone to a certain extent happy. But there's that old saying about if you're trying to keep everyone happy, you may end up with nobody happy, the right? Threat. Like Braun and AD are going to be happy regardless, but if they're not winning at the rate, that they should be winning, or if they're making the right play and maybe a guy who's not in rhythm is missing shots that he would typically make or that you expect them to make, then that's going to impact things on the margins in ways that could even like frustrate LeBron and AD who may be out there working their asses off to try to get a win because they're the stars, right? There's a symbiotic relationship that's going to need to happen On any good team between the top players and the role players, right? Whatever that established hierarchy is on any given team. Clearly for for the Lakers, that's a there's clear delineation between their top two guys and then the next guys. And maybe a guy like Schroeder fits somewhere in the middle where he oscillates a little bit between how he fits into that top group versus the role player group. But for the most part, yeah, you want guys pushing each other you want that sort of internal competition i think that the idea of lebron as a player mike has always been that he is an uplifter right he's a passer and he is a good energy guy and he's a fun dude and he's a fun teammate but you know this from following the team for a long time he's super demanding he wants things to be done the right way and he gives zero Fs about creating a certain amount of conflict within the team. And he has said at times too, that he thrives in environments that are uncomfortable. Right. And so it's an interesting dynamic to me about maybe some of the approach that Frank has taken and like, Hey, I want to get everyone time. There's benefits to that depth and all of that. But also, I think a part of that is like, let's not upset the apple cart too much with all of these guys who need minutes. But the flip side of that is LeBron post game was just like he was asked about like, hey, shorten rotation. These guys didn't play. And to your point, he was just like, yeah, we're trying to win the championship. Like get in where you fit in, like support yeah. everyone, support your yeah. teammates. Right.
3: I asked him that question. I asked the same one. I asked Vogel basically, Hey, what did you think of the shortened rotation? And he gave, sometimes LeBron, you can give him a simple question and he'll give you a great two minute answer. Sometimes you can give him a simple question and he'll give you a a good 10 second answer. And that's what he gave me. He was just like, yeah, like, and sure. Nine man rotation. So tough, right? Like, like we're We're not, this isn't your, uh, your high school team where you're trying to make sure that the freshmen and the sophomores get in at the end of the game on coach Pete's uh, roster. Like they're not, not into that vibe. LeBron is he, yes. So he is two things. He is by nature, a happy, fun, uh, kind of uniting type of guy, type of personality, but that that is that has to exist alongside a team that is trying to compete and win a championship and is serious. And so he doesn't care at, like, I might, I, I feel bad. I think about things sometimes for, if somebody I think isn't happy, like if one of you guys seemed like you weren't happy and we're talking enough, I would, I would, I think I would try to find some way to, um, to involve you more. And I think LeBron would just be like, all right, fine. You're not, you're not into it today. See ya. Like we're going, we're going towards the in Anybody that's that great at anything I think is like that to some extent, right? There are always exceptions here. So yeah, just don't mistake this.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast.
3: and don't mistake how much fun he's been having in the in the bubble um, for any lack of uh, you know willingness to go for the throat um in whether that's in involving the rotation or not and the question that i want to take this to turn back to you guys though did frank tell us something in his choices uh in tht in caruso and i i get that maybe part of that is because of the celtics lineup and going a little bit smaller but we learned that how much he trusts Caruso because of game six last year. Does, does that tell us something that him his first instinct was to go to THT and Caruso ahead of Matthews and Morris?
1: I think it does. And let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I'll explain why. Like any good team, hiring the right employees for your front office is just as important as recruiting the best players for the game. That's why you need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring easy as one, two, three, post, screen, and interview, all on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications, and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. Indeed makes connecting with and hiring the right talent fast and easy. With tools like Indeed Instant Match, giving you quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your job description immediately, and Indeed skills tests that on average reduces hiring time by 27%. You can choose from more than 130 skills tests, then add your must-have requirements so you only pay for applications that meet them. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash bluewire. Get a $75 credit at indeed.com backslash bluewire. Indeed.com slash blue wire offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. So, there were a few sequences in the second half, or I'm sorry, in the second quarter, where THT was used as a ball screener for LeBron. And this is when Trez was on the court. And this is when we opened up a 10 point lead. When teams blitz LeBron on the pick and roll, when they trap him, You've got that screener, you want him to slip out to either be a three point shooting threat. So that's why you'll see like KCP be a screener for LeBron a lot, especially in end of game situations. Wes
2: as well has been used in that exact scenario, like sort of ghosting screens or picking and popping, but as a guard.
1: And that's exactly why, right? You want somebody who is able to exploit that. Two guys are on LeBron we're going to create this 4 on 3 and the scoring threat is the guy popping. It's really difficult to cover that. If you do, you're leaving somebody way open and you're you're wide open in the paint in particular if you rotate to the pop guy while blitzing. The other type of guy you want is a playmaker in those. This is the Draymond Green type of guy, right, where they blitz Steph because he's such a great threat as a pull-up shooter and then you give the ball to Draymond who's not that pick and pop threat, but He in that four on three circumstance is just gonna pick you apart. One of the best to ever do it in that particular scenario. THT is does not have the savvy and wiles of a Draymond, of course, but he is a force driving to the basket. And he's not particularly sophisticated as a passer yet, but he's really good on those dump-offs. And he's really good has really good chemistry with the role man, Darius. And so LeBron is whipping that behind the back pass that he's perfected against those blitz coverages to THT. He's in a four on three and THT could pop and shoot that three, but he's attacking, drawing that help defender, dumping it off to Trez, who's great at relocating into those open little passing windows. And he got a bunch of points on that and usually does from giving his the guy who's attacking the basket a passing window. And I think that that lineup that we'd had out there of that all forwards lineup, right, with Wes, with Keith, Kuz, LeBron, and Trez has been a bad lineup for us. And that was the difference. That was the most different part of the game in this last game was those particular minutes. And I thought it was, a, to answer Mike's question, a way of addressing this particularly bad lineup in a way that makes a lot more basketball sense.
2: I'm not sure if you guys were watching the ABC feed or not, but I was watching the ABC feed where they often have the coach interviews during the quarter breaks basically and Frank made the point about how he wanted more scoring on the floor right and I think to answer your question Mike like going to THT is exactly that Right. Like um, we've talked a ton about AD taking steps in his game as like a passer and a playmaker. But I've been saying this for a few pods now, and we said it a lot last year, Pete, just about how AD is still more of a finisher than he is like an elite sort of hub of the offense. That's just not what he does best. He can do it, but that's not playing all the way to his strengths. It's playing to the strengths of his that are more on the margins for him. Schroeder is a guy that he's not proving yet to be this diverse playmaker for other guys. And so you need a little bit more balance in that group when LeBron isn't on the floor and when it's with AD or even next to LeBron when AD is not on the floor in order to diversify the offense even a little bit more and you had talked about this the last pod about the idea of are the Lakers relying on LeBron James too much and Frank's pivot to having THT in the game and and even going to Caruso earlier Caruso's not a scorer but he is that connector and he is the guy who will make the extra pass he is the guy who flash cuts to the middle off of double teams and then can also play um that Draymond Green role where he is picking you apart from the middle of the floor against 4 on 3s and 3 on 2s so mike yes i do think that going to THT but also Going to Caruso earlier in the game is a way that Frank is saying, like, let's supplement things offensively in a way that gives this team more balance than what they were showing with some of the personnel groupings that he's been using earlier during the season. You guys happen
3: to see what Caruso's plus minus was yesterday? <laughs> it
2: was like plus 14, was it?
3: Plus 14. Yep. Yeah. LeBron was plus plus In 10. a game we won by one. LeBron was plus eleven, and nobody else was higher than a plus one. Yeah, Marcus Gasol, Kuz, both plus one. TSG minus three, Trez neutral, and then AD minus ten. Um, despite and like that shows to what Pete's point was, Darius, which you just backed up is those units, the the bench plus LeBron, and yeah, really just LeBron plus the bench, and then there were a couple times where shooter uh, overlapped. Those units were where the Lakers made their run, and the biggest one was the start of the fourth quarter, and that was when they turned it on. Because remember, the end of the third quarter was crap. Uh, they, you know, they all of a sudden fall behind by seven, going into that. Was it seven or nine going to the final corner? So yeah, let's see. So I think it was seven, and and then they from that point, um, they really dominated the play uh, up until the last minute and forty five seconds, which you know I'm guessing. Pete was getting a little bit nervous there. Uh,
1: Bro, <laughs> I would. It was our best efforts to to drop that game. Yeah, because when you're Thank God, Alex ran back, man.
3: I mean, they had only so it was the score was ninety six to eighty nine um, at that point, point. and you know through three quarters, the Celtics had. Uh, th- th- let's see what was the what was the score through three. So entering the fourth quarter. It was, yeah, it was 78 to 74 and then, or sorry, 78, 71 was a score heading into the fourth quarter. Then Kuz hit the three to start the fourth quarter. And so think about that. The Celtics just weren't scoring um, very effectively and the Lakers were on this nice run. And, um, it, you know, we were all feeling like, okay, some order has been restored. It wasn't a great first half. They could have certainly been much better, but they found a way and it wasn't through the LeBron AD and, you you know, lineup that usually mops stuff up. It was this other lineup. And regardless, though, it was just good to see it was good to snap that uh, that, you know, mini little losing streak there. And, and even though the Lakers are still yet to be clicking by any means on all cylinders, at least, you know, we we saw a little variance there. And I think that's encouraging now because there, there are going to be a lot more games like this, man. There are going to be a lot more games. It's still a long season coming up
1: for sure. And part of what's fascinating about this season, though, is. Figuring out where the pieces fit. This has been something that's been developing over the last 10 games or so that I'm seeing more and more. Is that we have, it's funny, we've spent so much of this season talking about, ah, Lakers haven't had much juice. They're kind of dragging ass a little bit, right? There's been so many conversations like that. We're number one in the NBA in defensive rating by a decent margin, and which is remarkable to say about a team who we've had so many complaints about their effort level or the degree to which they are capable of of bringing it on a night to night basis. And it speaks to the fact that our offense has actually been clunkier than our defense. And that was something that that fourth quarter, you know, that Boston just kicked our ass in that third and Tatum and Brown, especially just getting anything that they want. And, the way that we matched up with them throughout the game was really interesting to me, Darius. We gave Schroeder a lot of minutes on Tatum. Uh, KCP, he, he matched up with Brown as well, KCP. And KCP's been bad for most of this road trip. I, I'd like to see him, hopefully Atlanta, going back uh, to his home state, will kind of you know bring a little extra pep in his step. But it'd be nice to get KCP back. But anyway, Boston and their wings in particular really exploited a size discrepancy. But what happens with this Lakers defense that I see is when we want to, when Frank wants to, he can always go into his bag and be like, all right, we need LeBron on Tatum, right? We're not going to do that the whole game. But as soon as as players fit their appropriate matchup. Like I was talking to somebody about the Clippers today and how we match up with the Clippers is like zoo will kill Trez, but zoo versus Ibaka. Like I'll take that. That's a more fitting match. Just like Mark versus Ibaka is a little difficult because of the popping ability, but Mark versus zoo, that's more of a natural fit. And we've got, there's somebody on this team who's capable of defending every type of player, just about, right? More more than most Lakers teams. And so seeing that, that's part of why I'm so bullish on this team is that Frank doesn't usually go. And that's why yesterday's game was interesting in that he tried to win that game. And I think it's like a three-game losing streak. You don't want a three-game losing streak, even if your goals are so long-term. Like, Let's win this one tonight, right? And so Frank made adjustments, and one of them, Darius, was in that fourth quarter really matching up. This is the type of guy that will give this offensive threat the biggest, the the hardest time. And I thought our defense, in up to that bit of a collapse in the last 90 seconds, I thought our defense was was really uh, fantastic in that respect.
2: The thing is about the Lakers defense is they can be at the top of the league and still not even necessarily look like they're doing everything right and on several possessions actually look like they're doing a fair amount wrong. And, and with guys being asked to do things that aren't necessarily in their wheelhouse, right? Like Trez and drop coverage, for example, or playing a little bit more passively or KCP being asked to guard, like more of a power wing guy or cheese or LeBron, who's a more natural matchup for, A certain type type of guy not being deployed on on him just to save him some
1: yeah that's the thing about this team is that like they've got very clear strengths but also very clear weaknesses like one of the things that frustrates me about trez is when in rim protection a lot of times he won't get a hand up right he won't contest the shot at all and it's like look i I know you're undersized but get a hand up right like and that's but that's the thing is that like our defenders are very good at things but if they're put in the wrong quote-unquote position they can also be very bad
2: yeah and so look the lakers have a bunch of good defenders and then when you optimize them those guys become even better and then they have high level defenders that can basically do anything right like i trust lebron and ad and alex caruso and mark gasol to basically do anything defensively on a basketball court even if it's something that is quote unquote outside of their comfort zone they're still skilled enough smart enough and talented enough overall and have enough physical tools to hang in those situations right like they'll get beat sometimes but that's just how it goes but they're they can be elite defenders on any given possession and and being able to roll those guys out there and be anchors of any given defensive unit is going to give you a pretty high floor as a defensive team and I think that's one of the reasons why they're at the top of the league but to speak to your point, one of the things that Frank has been doing is he hasn't put LeBron in too many high leverage defensive situations at all through this point of the season. He has I don't know if he guarded Kawhi, even a single possession or Paul George, a single possession in, in that lone Clippers game. He defended Ben Simmons, but he was like not really doing anything in terms like he was treating ben simmons like how kobe used to treat rajon rondo in those Lakers celtics matchups it's just sort of just like ah go run around and do whatever you want like i actually don't care so (laughs) i'm just saying and and simmons got off a little bit because of that especially in transition but in the big picture like the lakers haven't been asking lebron especially to do a lot defensively and AD has been up and down in terms of his, his defensive engagement. And so for this team to be at the top of the league defensively, it's almost sort of weird to me because I haven't necessarily been happy with how they've been defending overall, but the results are sort of there. Like am I off base in terms of like my my feeling about how well they're defending.
3: Well, no, so <laughs> this is where I'm gonna try not to do a defensive rating rant. This is Everybody, including us, is saying, Oh, the Lakers are the best defense in the league because they are based on personnel. But right now, they're the best in the league because they're the best defensive rating team. That doesn't mean they're the best, they're playing the best defense in the league. That means that they have had uh, the, the requisite number of blowouts against bad teams that didn't have their best guys playing that juiced those stats uh, to a certain degree. And then also that they have held down good offensive teams. As well like by playing well so it's a mix of stuff but it's like the bucks weren't the best defensive team in the league last year just because they had the top defensive rating they weren't the lakers were the best defensive team in the league and so that that's all so like we're the the defensive rating isn't necessarily what reflects how well or not well the lakers are playing defense that's a mix of schedule and calendar and the fact that the lakers have been healthy and a lot of teams haven't been And, and the lakers have not missed any games other than caruso to the protocol for seven like those are to me the biggest reasons why their actual ranking is higher um, when they haven't flex on that end very much and this goes back to the whole main theme that we'll get to in every single podcast is that the lakers control their own destiny to an extent and that's within every game that they play uh, i don't care who the opponent is right now Maybe, you know, look, may- the Clippers are playing really, really well right now. Um, like, maybe that's a team where you could play really well and they could still beat you on a given night if they hit their threes. But other than that, you know, for the most part, as we saw against Milwaukee, as we saw against Boston, the Lakers were clearly better than those two teams. I thought clearly there, there wasn't a point of that Boston game where I was thinking, oh, yeah, th- man, this would be a t- this would be a real struggle um in a in a playoff series unless you guys felt that way and i didn't feel like that against milwaukee no. um even you know philly was uh, like the matchup they i i, I think that sh- that would just take the lakers a game like it took them a game to figure out portland or houston and then they would they would start to pinch in on Embiid, right and kind of like they would eventually take philly might take a game maybe two but same thing so that that's where i stand still um having seen all of the basketball so far this year
1: yeah that's i'm i'm in a similar place um In terms of defense, the one thing you said, Darius, that I disagreed with was the idea that Mark is, I trust him in in any circumstance type of situation. I actually thought yesterday's game illustrated some of the difficulties of having Mark out there, right? Is... If you've got a big wing who can handle the ball and attack the basket, they can just go over Mark. And he's not able to change all of the craftiness that he has on the floor as an earthbound defender, all of the strips, all of the positioning, the anticipation to beat you to the spot, nowhere, the understanding of the opponent's playbook, all of those things. At some point when Jalen Brown is 11 feet in the air, that doesn't matter. And even if he's in good position on that drop coverage, Mark can't elevate in that respect. And that's something obviously that Trez can't do either. Anthony Davis is our, is our trump card in this respect, right? That athletic rim protecting five, but in the absence of JaVale and Dwight, having seen it more than a quarter of a way through the season, our rim protection, our shock blocking, there are possessions where I'm like, Ooh, it'd be nice, but maybe I'm just thinking to to last year, right? To And again, in the playoffs, these guys didn't play that much. Your Dwight's your Javelles. But I'm just curious about your thoughts about our rim protection, Darius.
2: The rim protection's bad. Like, look, like, there's not going to be bad in comparison to last year, I should say. The thing I think that they can do better from a rim protection standpoint is for the guards to understand that the same horses aren't back there. And they need to defend probably a little bit tighter at the point of attack and not necessarily give up. The open gate the way that they did last year in order to make some of their peel-offs easier, right? And one of the and things that to shot and, yeah. yeah, like one of the things that I've noticed about the Lakers too is that you can tell they're still just not in sync defensively between whoever is at the point of attack on the ball and whoever the big man is in drop coverage. There's still too many miscommunications between those partnerships that happen throughout the game and when does the guard peel off in order to recover to a big man who's not necessarily rolling when does the big man jab off of the guard in order to recover to his own man those are communication issues and feel issues that happen like 20 30 times a game you're asked to make those decisions right especially between teams Who are not only pick and roll heavy but it's like the these are foundational aspects of their offense like I said this on Twitter the other day but it's just like Trez and Kuz have terrible defensive chemistry when they're put in a ball screen action together yesterday I even saw Caruso and Mark have issues on a couple of possessions where Caruso stayed a beat too long and then that made Mark hesitate and then now the ball is up in the air and someone is shooting over the top of Mark and he wasn't necessarily sure if he was going to get out of there because Caruso was staying or if Caruso was going to peel off and those are things that come through practice man and like this team isn't practicing no teams around the league are really practicing but it's showing up to me like I see it from a game-to-game basis on some of the things that the team is still messing up on defensively, that last season, by this point in the year, those things were sharp already. And so that's why I was talking earlier about how this team isn't defending to the level that I would want. So to see them with a high defensive rating or at the top of the league in that respect is like sort of there's a disconnect there for me. To get back to your question about rim protection, like, Mark is a different type of rim protector. I still trust him back there, though, like not as much as Dwight and Javale, but he's still good enough back there for me. He's just giving up more plays than the guys last year did, but he's he's giving up the types of plays now that like almost every center in the league gives up, unless they're like Rudy Gobert or like Joel Embiid or maybe even an Anthony Davis. Like you have to be the elite of the elite to not give up the some of the shots that like some of these great scoring wings are getting up at the rim against pretty much every center across the league Mike
3: here's where the difference is with Marcus all and last year with Dwight and and I, I want to kind of touch on Pete's point too about Gasol against big wings so he does his work early that's the, the biggest thing he does Dwight and JaVale can do their work late when they're almost baiting you to drive and then They're exploding off the floor and pinning it off the glass. But what you also get with Dwight or JaVale is you get a bunch of fouls. And Mark doesn't foul nearly as much. And the Lakers, the last time I looked up the stat, which was uh, about two games ago, they were giving up the fewest free throw attempts in the league. And that's partly interesting. that's partly, you know what? And while I'm while I'm talking here, I'll I'll just I'll look that up real quick. But that's I think that's partly due to that switch there um, with Mark, and then it's probably also partly due to the fact that they're they're just not you know playing quite um, as as hard on that end, or at least not having to every single night. So opponent free throws attempted per game, Lakers are number one in the league right now, seventeen point six per game. Last year they were number fifteen in the league. free throw attempts per game. And so while you, when you're watching, you're thinking, oh man, they just got another layup on the Lakers. Well, yeah, but they're not getting to the free throw line as much. You're not getting foul trouble. You're not having uh, asking AD and LeBron necessarily to come over all the time from the weak side because the shot blocker went for a block, didn't get it. um, And then that pass went inside. So that's, that's where Mark, I think helps you um, in certain ways. And then, to build in Pete's point with this as to trusting Mark, I think that it's in the middle, right? You, he's kind of like Dwight last year where against Jokic, against Embiid, you definitely want him starting and hampering those guys for a little while before you switch AD over to him. Um, other times, if you're going against just a team like Boston that's got a space, uh, like Daniel Tice was hitting threes in part because of this. And then, you know, Mark, Mark just struggled in that matchup. That's who they played. In the postseason last year, that's who that's who Toronto lost to, and Mark wasn't very good. And it's same thing because he wasn't needed. That he's not going to be able to affect Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum as much because they can get into his body and still finish. And Mark's not going to follow him at least. But they're not they're not going to be deterred. So in that case, great. Then you play AD more. Maybe Keith plays a little more eventually, and and you're fine that way. That's why that's why the Lakers are so great because they can just adjust. They're like okay. No problem. So that's all. He's not. I trust Mark, but I, I also think that he's got to. He shouldn't be on the floor a ton against the wrong matchup.
1: Yeah. Can I just say? Go ahead, Darius.
2: Can I just say one more thing about Mark? When when I had mentioned that I trust him in pretty much every situation, like I trust him to make the right decision, and I trust him to be in the right place. Whether or not that's going to deter a basket or not, that's a different question right but if you're going to ask exactly and so i trust him more than Javale for sure um i probably trust him equally to dwight but their strengths are different to me And so Dwight was an elite defensive player. Like I would have loved to have had Dwight Howard on this team. I just would have, like, I just think that he is a certain type of physical and from a defensive standpoint, high IQ player that really helps you on that end of the floor. So I'm not going to, like, mince my words about, like, my fondness of what Dwight Howard was last year and how I think that he could have contributed this year. But he's not here. So I do think, Pete, though, to your point earlier, AD is the trump card with this. Um, And there's going to be a bunch of times where it is going to be AD at the five, LeBron at the four, and basically three guards or wings around those guys. And those units are mostly going to be able to either kick the other team's butts or hang well more than enough defensively to give the lakers a shot to win any individual game that they're playing
1: yeah I, and that's why i think we've got three universal defenders in lebron ad and caruso in that i would trust them against any matchup against any team they should be on the court, right? If we need to to get a stop, then everybody else, it becomes a matter of, just as we talk about incorporating Dennis Schroeder into the offense, incorporating Trez into the defense, right? He's a specific type of defender and pretty much everybody else, you know, KCP can get bullied a little bit in the post when when matched up against bigger guys. But KCP is that fourth guy to me who's the closest to being versatile and capable of playing in most circumstances, right, in terms of closing games. But you also got these minutes in the middle of the game, right, that beginning of the second quarter, beginning of the fourth quarter, that even in the playoffs, you need to get value out of a guy like Trez. Let's say we're playing a team that doesn't have one of the big guys, your Jokic, your Embiid, the guys that Mike is talking about and it's more of a we have to have ad at the five can we get defensive productivity out of our bigs in those other minutes in a way and and this applies to both trez and mark but with trez that's one of the adjustments that i loved in that fourth quarter of the game is all of a sudden he's out on the perimeter. He got a strip on. I think it was Tatum, right? He's he's a guy who can make plays out on the perimeter, and if he does, right, all of a sudden we're in transition. But he's such a specific type of defender, Mike, that he almost reminds me of a third down pass rusher in the NFL. Where if you're playing him on first and the NFL, and the NFL changed so much since I followed it, this may be a, an obsolete analogy, right? But back in back when I watched, you'd have guys where it's like third and eight, and you know they're going to throw the ball on that down and that guy might not be able to stop the run at an nfl caliber level but if you just tell him go get that guy go get the quarterback he's he's a devastating threat that's probably a little exaggerated for trez's potential and ability on the perimeter but he's a guy that we saw in that game right as soon as he starts blitzing or showing at the level of a screen or switching he's just a totally different guy than when he is back down there in the paint
3: now that analogy still works and trez by the way was a defensive end and a wide receiver. Oh, was he? And a tight end. Yeah, I, I asked him this on the pregame show the other day because it just kind of seemed like he would would have been somebody that played football. Uh, based on his mentality, <laughs> yes. and he said that he had some offers uh, and he could have probably played in college. I, I don't doubt him for a second. Um, imagine him exactly like that, lining up on the end and just sort of having him lifting for football all these years. Uh, I think he, you know, he would have been a monster um, trying to get after the quarterback and then doing his snarl and his yell um after he hit the quarterback like that's basically what happens when he dunks it's like he hit the quarterback that's uh, that's yeah. sort of you know that's sort of that's his sack that's the celebration yeah. yeah and so with Trez he's he fits into this I think as well but what I what struck me earlier when you guys were talking about the small lineup a lot of times teams have gone small in the NBA to try and get an offensive advantage that's so sort of, that's sort of the whole purpose to get an extra shooter on the court and then hope to survive on the other end and what's so interesting about the Lakers, and of course, this is because of AD. They they're devastating defensively when they go small to the point where we don't even think about how much better they also are on offense when AD's at the five. So does that strike you guys? I, I, it seems like we we think about and we talk more about the small lineup as it refers to them defensively because the fact that of how good they are offensively is just so obvious. I don't know I, how does that strike you guys with that that small lineup in the combo for defense versus offense as relative to the rest of the league
2: no i think that's a great point i also think too that a lot of that is because the lakers are going to be good on on off like their floor is so high on offense simply because they have lebron and ad and the lakers more versatile defenders are perimeter guys they're just not bigger types of players right like um i think like another team that that was true true for Mike but even though the focus was on how good they were offensively because they went small I thought they were a better defensive team because of that too were like those Warriors teams with like their death lineup right like like Draymond playing the five and like the ranginess of those lineups and the ability to have that anchor defensively in the middle that can not only affect shots in the paint Uh, And AD is better at that than Draymond, obviously, um, even though Draymond was elite at that. But the ranginess to switch and contain the ball handler on the perimeter by that same anchor player, right? And then you go down the line and you have all of these just smart, high IQ defensive players that are all just really good at their jobs. And that's, that's the idea with this Lakers team, when you talk about what they can do defensively, Pete, is there a, I've been wanting to get back to THT within the context of all of this conversation, because he's an interesting guy to me about where he fits this season. I don't know if you caught Jared Dudley's comments. I can't remember what podcast he was on. Thank you for bringing this up. Yeah. Like like I might've been the green room. I can't like with, with Danny Green's pod, but Jared was on a podcast recently, and he basically was like, "This kid, right?" And like, sort of my say, like in my like, this Horton Tucker, right? When when you're talking about Tht, mm-hmm. like this kid needs to play. Frank needs to find some time for him, and then Jared went so far as to say, like, "Look, this kid. I wouldn't be surprised if he's starting next year. Like, he's going to be a starter for someone, ideally the Lakers." And and, and so. THC's progression on both sides of the ball like we talked a lot about him offensively and the boost that he can give what have you been seeing from him defensively they had him guarding point guards against the Celtics he was guarding Jeff Teague and there were times where he was even on Kemba Walker and the idea of like him with his physical tools like how do you think he fits in to any of this and in theory like he's got a lot of people to boost could he be like a closing lineup possibility guy as like a two-way player who could affect the floor in multiple ways.
1: My answer to that ties into Mike's question, right? About the conceptualization of small ball, and we have a lot of different versions of being small, right? And this goes to the defensive utility of different guys being having specific skills, right? Like Trez is a very different type of defender than Kuz. Kuz is a very different type of defender than KCP. Who's a very different type of type of defender than Wes or THT, right? We've got a lot of different types of guys. You could throw Keith into that. That's the having those three universal defenders and then being. Being able to pick your club, so to speak, on those last two guys. That's why we're a shape shifting team. And THT plays into that in that THT has a seven foot one wingspan and he's what, 225, 230? And he can handle the ball. He is very similar to LeBron and AD in the respect that his size compared to his skill set is punishing for a guy who can do those things, who can handle the ball the way he can, who can spin off of the dribble. Most guys that possess that wingspan, and then the size of his hands as well, the wingspan and the strength, you are punishing while still being quote unquote small. With him, it's all about, he will make false steps. And that's this is why I'm, I don't have terribly high hopes for him being able to play in a high level playoff series because I think he's going to make too many defensive mistakes. Now it's a lot less than it was at the beginning of this season. He's understanding how to lock and trail better. His on ball defense I think has been quite good. He, um I was noticing this yesterday. Rather than remember that strip he got against Kawhi in the preseason, and he still makes some defensive plays like that. Do that, do that. He's a, yeah, exactly. He's taking a. Half step or quarter step, maybe back. And instead of putting himself in the position for those strips, he's sagging off of you and taking off the drive while still being totally in place to contest your shot. And so it's going to be less steel conducive than internal forcing turnovers, although he's still capable of doing that while protecting the paint a little bit more. And that is something that with a small ball lineup, it's really good to be able to defend at the point of attack, like you always talk about, Darius, and be able to hold that guy in front of you while still contesting his shot. So absolutely, he can be one of those guys of a one of our versions of small ball that isn't small at all, Mike. And that's what's so special about the team and kind of the foundation for your like we got LeBron and AD, you know?
3: Yeah. So the answer is about whether or not he can increase his role and be on the floor in sort of those key moments. Part of that just has to do with how much is Schroeder baked in to 30 to 32 minutes per game. And if he is, that's, it makes it a little tougher. And I think that he probably will be uh, just because he has been so far. So that's one spot. KCP quietly only played 20 minutes yesterday and he wasn't good. And it's, it's been a little bit of a, it's been, I don't want to say disturbing. Okay. Cause that'd be way hyperbolic, but it's been, I think we were all excited about the fact that KCP looked to have cleared a hurdle, whether it was of confidence or of, of uh, comfort or whatever it was where every night he was just good. He was giving you shot making, he was giving you consistent defense. And then um, he had the game in, in Milwaukee where he hit seven threes. And since then he just hasn't found a way to impact games for whatever reason. And that is part of what happened last year, sort of from time to time. So that's probably another podcast. Where we can look into that a little further, um, maybe see how he plays in near his hometown um, in Atlanta. But that's if he is not consistent, then that's going to open up some of those potential minutes. Because right after him is Caruso. And then their CHT, who's now we've already seen kind of pull neck and neck, if not go ahead of Matthews in the rotation. And the the question with the the Caruso THT pairing, which of course worked really well yesterday, was: Are teams in a postseason going to respect their shooting enough? And is Caruso going to be able to hang with the not at fifty five percent like he's been, but he's going to be is he going to be able to hang forty plus? And if he can space the floor for you and get some respect there then you have the ability to, to play THT to get what he can give you on the ball, as opposed to, to KCP as just a spacer and a transition pusher. And I think that the answer ends up being sort of all of the above. You're, you're, you're not going to have one or two of those guys emerge. It's going to be one night. It's THT when, when Caruso's hitting shots. The other night, you really need KCP's spacing in uh, pace and all that. But, but he's in the conversation uh, for sure. And, and he's going to be somebody that I think we'll see in some high leverage moments. But I don't, you know, I don't see him as, as a just
2: guaranteed X minutes per night off the bench. yet, yeah, just yet. You yeah, know, maybe next year. Thanks for bringing up KCP, because I only wanted to put it within this context. And I think this brings a full circle to the beginning of our conversation at the pod. But Frank wanted to win this game. And KCP wasn't playing well. And this was a game that totally reminded me of last year in that Frank said, I'm rewarding the guys who have been playing well. And those are the guys who are going to play. And tonight, that's not you, KCP. Tonight, that's Alex Caruso. And Caruso rewarded him with some very good plays down the stretch of that game. Um, None bigger than that defensive sequence in, in that sort of scramble chaos that existed on the final possession where Boston had a leak out and he got his hands on that ball and made the Celtics reset. And then Schroeder look, this isn't a play that got any love really last night because Kemba missed that shot and Kemba got to a good shot, but I thought Schroeder's close out on Kemba at the three point line and his ability to stop. And
1: just as defense, defense on Kemba in general, man. Yes.
2: Yes. Yes. But that final possession, go back and re-watch it and watch how he perfect closeout technique sprinted broke down, got up with his left-hand contest against what would have been a Kemba right-hand the jumper, planted that left foot hard in the ground so that it it actually slid a little bit with how hard he planted that foot and then immediately went into his defensive slide to, to Kemba's left hand and slid with him and then elevated to contest. Now, granted, Schroeder's a small guy and Kemba created some separation, but just that little defensive sequence, that that ability to sprint back in the first place and then see the closeout, close out hard, break down and then slide again and then contest. That's high level defensive stuff. And so when Mike says that Schroeder is positioning himself to be a 30 to 32 minute player, it's possessions like that. That are the reason why, Mike. It's not necessarily because he's getting an and one layup that creates separation at the end of the game those are obviously huge huge plays as well but it's the the ability to hang defensively too
3: Well, and and Pete he was guarding Tatum in Brown for parts of the game and they were hitting Mm -hmm. shots efficiently but you can I I think it was maybe it was Van Gundy that made the point on the broadcast that at certain times when they would go to their small lineup in OKC last year and it'd be Chris Paul and Shea uh, Gilders Alexander Schroeder would guard the biggest one And like, he's not, you know, Chris Paul is certainly stronger than him. And Shea Gilgis Alexander is longer and taller than him, but Shooter's tough. He's tough. Like he's, uh, he's hard to move. He's quick. He moves his feet. He gets in there. He's got those long arms. And, and so I think that part of it is in what Frank Vogel said as relayed by Van Gundy and Breen, that he was surprised at how good Shooter was defensively and how much he could hold up and how Frank didn't have to worry about necessarily taking him out of certain lineups because of his size.
1: I'm surprised at how good Schroeder is defensively. The only reason he's not included in my group of universal defenders is I want to see it in playoff settings because I know Caruso can switch on to bigger guys, and but he is... I had no idea he was this good on defense. And it's funny, the change in watching a guy, now I'm like, this is a guy who defensively is gonna kick ass every night, and it's his offense that's more of a hit and miss. He's got some upside, but he can also be clunky, which I never would've thought at the beginning. Now, after watching tape on him in OKC, I was like, oh yeah, this guy's a pretty good defender, but watching him on a night to night basis, he's an unbelievable defender and those minutes where he's defending that biggest guy, right? And this is what allows you to play Caruso and KCP and Schroeder at the same time is both Caruso Caruso and Schroeder in particular can take bigger matchups when they need to. And I love his technique when he, he gets into guys, Mike, he's somebody that when he's up against Tatum, he's going to sit in that chair and get super low and is going to beat him to his spot to the point where the way that, and credit to Boston and to Tatum for doing this, the way they kind of got Schroeder off of him, and I'm thinking of the end of the second quarter, a lot of this, was to run him off of off-ball screens, right? Like to have, you know, Tice set a a high screen for him off of the ball, but they were going they were having the ball in his hands less and less. So in order to free him up, because Schroeder just when you get that low, he's beating you to spots, right? I know we got to wrap up soon, but Darius, I'd love to hear your thoughts just on Schroeder's defensive stance and how he's able to take on those bigger matchups. Look what
2: I always talk about defense within the context of of like angles, right? And angles and leverage. And whenever you are a smaller player, the way that you defend people would typically think oh well you're small like you have to find a way to get bigger right get taller like play higher but no that's not where your advantage is your advantage is actually in getting lower and creating more leverage and cutting off angles better and taking away angles because if you allow a bigger player to get to his spot in a comfort position. He's just going to shoot over the top of you regardless. And so the way you have to disrupt that is to get into a guy's body and then make him go in directions and to spots on the floor that he's not as comfortable going to because you've eliminated the space and the ability to get to preferred spots. And that's what Schroeder does defensively is... He is, they talk about being in a guy's jersey defensively. Well, that's what Schroeder tries to do. He doesn't, he doesn't want to give you he wants to consistently take that space away and then make you go around him by then him being wide and still retaining quickness and that can be a devastating way for you to play above your size way more than it is even with like showing off with length or something like that length will come in handy but the ability to, to sort of get underneath a guy's hips and then make him play off balance is going to be much more effective for you and, and he seems to
1: understand
2: that and you can see it in his
1: technique He does a great job of controlling the ground, right? Like so much of basketball happens in the air. That's why all these guys are really tall, but a lot of it happens on the ground. Your footwork, the ability to cover distance, anything, if you're gonna beat Truder by being stronger than him or going over the top of him, you live with that but he's going to control the ground space and the ground game that's part of why he locked up Kemba is that is normally Kemba's advantage is by being quicker being faster schroeder was noticeably quicker and twitchier than kemba was in that game and so the tools that kemba has to go to just like schroeder's got the advantage there too
3: i was just thinking real quick that people listening to this pod or any of the three of us if you were going to play pickup And all of a sudden Shooter or Caruso came out in the court and they were like, all right, I got, I got Pete. Uh, and I got Darius. You'd be like, Oh, like,
1: how am I supposed to get up the court? You know, like what,
3: how am I supposed to get the, like the ball, you know, just, just thinking about crossing half court on those guys. That sucks. (laughs) That's, That's That's a lot of effort. And that's why, by the way, Caruso, and even to a greater extent shooter, they like to pick up full court cause they know that it's not fun to deal with that. And it's got a cumulative effect. And I think, especially, and I'm excited to see how that plays out in the postseason series too. Um, when, if you get some of those guards, uh, a Dame Lillard, right. A Jamal Murray, uh, a Chris Paul, whoever. And they're like, Oh man, you know, we got to go against these Lakers pressure guards. And then once we get past the pressure, here comes AD and LeBron. Like it, it's, that's to the, to, to the earlier point about the Lakers being the best defense in the league without looking like it. Like that's part of it, right? That's the formula. These fast, quick, athletic guards who are tough. They get into you and then your reward, if you get past them, is these lanky, all world, absurd athletes waiting for you on the back line.
2: Well, this is and this is what we've been talking about for like a little bit over a month now in terms of the difference between this year's team and last year's team. Last year's team was not this type of defensive team in terms of that quickness at the point of attack. They were stronger. They were more physical. They were more intimidating there. Right. But. With Schroeder and and Caruso sort of was always this, but I think the absence now of Danny Green and Avery Bradley plays more to Caruso's strengths as sort of this in-your-face defender as well. But with quickness is that these guys just do it differently than last year's guys. And... It's been interesting, but also fun to watch them leverage these specific types of tools versus the tools that last year's team had. And Pete, to put a little bow on this, it totally speaks to your point about having sort of um, a tool for every type of different offensive player that the Lakers have in their defense, right? There wasn't really a guy that you could say, hey, go play with Lou Williams or go play with a Steph Curry or go like those guys weren't necessarily naturals on the roster in terms of those quick speedster defensive types but schroeder has that now and it's just another club the lakers have in their bag to deploy defensively to match up with all of these different types of threats that you see across the league
1: yeah i think this team is just scratching the surface of their defensive talent i think To Mike's point earlier, we are number one in the league in part because the league in general is not practicing. And so the league in general is not playing as good a defense. Right. So maybe if we played this caliber of defense in last season's environment, maybe we're a 10th in defensive rating. Right. But in terms of these circumstances, we got to. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe. Right. But uh, just the caliber of basketball is lower. It's part of the environment that we're in right now. But uh, Lakers, we'll wrap it up here. Lakers get win in boston 96 95 we got another one on monday against oh, atlanta close out pete, the seven game road trip pete, one pete one last
3: question i forgot to ask you how many titles do the celtics have since 1986 uh,
1: they have one since 86 and the fall of the berlin wall and all that
3: okay how, how about the lakers
1: oh boy hold on i'm not good at math so you got 87 eight. 88 2000 i'll just do the math it's eight that's all just- oh no, no Mike, let me milk it. Oh, my bad. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Take your time. I, shit about All right, take, your
3: time. Take, take your time. I set you please. up and then I try to fast forward it. Sorry. I
1: can't take this guy anywhere, man. All right. So it was 87. Then Riley, Riley guaranteed the back-to-back. First time anybody had repeated in a long time was the eight 88 title. Then we have a bit of a gap. We got Lake Show years in between. So at least, at least we had some fun in the 90s, even if we didn't win a title. How good was Boston during 2000, that period?
2: I don't, I don't think they were good anyway. So.
1: No, they weren't particularly good, were they? Hmm. Yeah, it's been it's been a hard few decades for them. Hmm. Well, they can ask their grandparents about the glory days. You've been listening to Laker Film Room podcast. We will catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale.
2: McHale wants to turn double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got
1: it. Magic fires It's was- They
2: That back next to the winner, it's on the way, no! Toby Bryant,
3: 48 points, 16 rebounds, with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals
0: record. A
3: lot of Laker fans sticking around for this.
0: You're seeing something that's very rare indeed, a Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Toby Hard to believe, Are you kidding me?
3: Unreal! Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning
0: in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the go. move. That's two, first, one. miss it! Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yeah! yeah.